DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time now to talk with Jay Drew, BYU football writer and Utah basketball writer for the Deseret News. Jay, good morning. Good morning, guys. A little jet lag after a quick trip to uh, Myrtle Beach? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. That's uh, Yeah, I had a layover in Atlanta, and then that flight from Atlanta to Salt Lake is always just crazy long for some reason. <laughs> but I'm back, and I'm good. That's beautiful. Good to have you back, brother. I'm telling you, once you landed on Utah soil, I felt better. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Patrick. (laughs) I saw your stuff on Twitter. You were putting pictures of fans. seemed like they had a decent representation in the pandemic year. The thing that really bugs me is why am I not receiving a residual check every time somebody posts or uses the phrase magic happens? Oh, the sign, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wasn't able to talk to the guy who had that sign, but uh, but if if it shows up again, I will uh, I will do my best to. But it to looked get like they had a good out. environment. Yeah, you know, five thousand people can make uh, pretty good, you know, some noise. Um, obviously, uh, they were you know mostly coastal Carolina fans, but uh, it was a pretty cool environment. Just you know. Uh, having been thrown together at the last minute and all that that's um yeah no complaints there it was uh felt like a real college football game for once watching on tv uh it just felt like BYU just couldn't quite get in the rhythm and flow everything just seemed half a beat off did you feel that frustration in per, in person, even even early in the game? I mean, in the second half, I'm I'm sure the frustration was building. But even early in the game, with the touchdown being called back and the drop on the fourth and one trick play and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, there were some interesting kind of play calls. I don't know on fourth and one why why you pull out a trick play, um, it, and and obviously it would have worked. Um, I mean, Gunner just dropped the ball there. Um, and, and Zach could have ran for the first down, and he also could have hit Isaac Rex on a little dump off for the first down. But, uh, yeah, they're just um, – Coastal Carolina brought a lot of energy. You could tell their their players felt slighted by some of the comments. It, they weren't comments made by BYU players, but just, I think comments made by national media members or whatever, uh, and the BYU was a, you know, a 10-point favorite and all that. They were just on edge the whole game, really, really hyped. And uh, I don't know if BYU was able to kind of bring that same energy, you know, two time zones away and, and uh, you know, without, with very, very few BYU fans there. I just thought the energy level on the Coastal Carolina sideline the whole game was just off the charts. And, and, uh, and, you know, BYU hadn't played in a couple weeks. Maybe that was a, a minor factor as well. They obviously hadn't played a, an opponent the caliber of Coastal Carolina, you know, for a month since they played Boise State. So a lot of factors went into it. But you just got to hand it to Coastal Carolina. They brought it. They had an excellent game plan. And BYU, bottom line was BYU's defense could not get off the field. 
that was the biggest thing is they just ate the clock, kept the ball out of Zach's hands. And then when BYU got the ball on offense, I think they panicked a little bit. I think they were just like, kind of like, we might not get the ball back again. We need to do something now kind of thing. And, and, uh, it all added up to a coastal win. Yeah, I don't know if you saw because you were at the game, but after the game they did the on-field interview and the Coastal Carolina coach, they said all week that they were going to kill us. Well, the game wasn't put together until Thursday, buddy, <laughs> about all week. But, uh, you know, they do that stuff and they feed off of that. And football being an emotional game, you can get away with it. And if you, I think you could tell uh, the, uh, through the television anyway how fired up everybody was this was their super bowl they had never been in this situation before meanwhile byu has played many big games over the years and for this one uh they were just so jacked about it but when i look at byu's perspective the thing that was most disappointing for me is i expected the defense to have somewhat of a struggle because it was a unique offense and they didn't have the preparation time but i was most disappointed by two things that we've been talking about it here this morning. I was most disappointed by the offense, not being able to score, and then that timeout on that punt really got under my skin because I think if you give Zach a timeout, that preserves some more time on the clock, and they have a much better chance to score on that last drive. Yeah, there were some kind of uh, interesting calls made, um, you know, coaching calls made, and that certainly was one of them. Kalani said after that um, he was worried that they would have 12 men on the field on that play. He was also worried they didn't have the right personnel, and he kind of alluded to the fact they were going to go for, to, to try to block the punt, and so they wanted to make sure they had the right guys. But it was just a it was a blunder. I mean, there's just no way around it. It was just uh, you know at the time, I think a lot of people even at the time said, "Wow, we are going to need that timeout later down the road." So even when he called it, it was uh, it was questionable because of uh, the way just the way the game was going and and them knowing that they were having a hard time stopping Coastal Carolina's running attack and and they knew that those timeouts would probably be precious and they were right. I got to say, I was a little surprised by the BYU run game. I thought their offensive line was going to be able to uh, push uh, Coastal Carolina around. And from the uh, fumble when they had the 17-13 lead and had a chance to go down and, and make it a two-score game, and on literally the first snap of that possession, they fumbled the ball away and, and gift Coastal Carolina three points. Uh, to you know, on, on the, before the punt, they had like a third, I think maybe third and two, but I think it was third and one, and and it ended up being a fourth and five. The run play got blown up. If it had been fourth and one, they're fourth and two. They probably could have gone for it. Uh, it, I was surprised the running game didn't do more for him. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. There was a time in the game where Tyler Algier was out of the game with some sort of a mm-hmm. an ankle issue. Um, they did lose Clark Barrington, the guard. They had Kiefer Longson in there uh, on the on the fumble play. I haven't gone back and rewatched it, but I think I think that was the issue there. Ironically, the the uh, number ninety four. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Gunter, the guy that went after Zach there at the end of the first half, is the guy that caused the fumble. So, uh, um, and he he had a heck of a second half, causing disruption. Uh, and but but you're right, BYU's offensive line, which has been pretty solid uh, despite a lot of shuffling this season with COVID and other issues, has been really good. But but they they were not as dominant as most people thought they should have been. 
Um, and, and then, you know, the, the other play that kind of stands out is the, the receiver kind of running backwards, Chris Jackson, after, yeah, yeah. you know, losing like whatever it was, 15 yards. Uh, there were just some real questionable decision-making um, on the part of the Cougars that all, in a game like that, a battle of unbeatens, you have to be on point. You have to just, you know, cut out all those those little mistakes and, and uh, like the fumble and, and the running backwards and things like that. And they didn't do that, and it cost them. So one loss here looks like it's going to make the Cougars plummet from a potential Fiesta Bowl to what now, the Toilet Bowl? <laughs> I don't know if you call Boise, Idaho a toilet, Pat. But, uh, no, I, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to the Potato Bowl again. Uh, I yeah for sure I I I'd be stunned if they make a New Year's Six bowl now I I don't think there's any way possible, um, so yeah I think it's probably the Frisco Bowl the day after Christmas in uh, in the Dallas uh, area um, that's kind of the one that I think most people are now kind of pointing to but um, and then also be interesting to see if they they go after a game on December nineteenth I I don't think they will I think. I just don't think there's an opponent out there that can, um, you know, the only reason you'd want to take a game there is to get into a better bowl game. And I just don't think, I just don't think even with a win on that day that you can get back into New Year's Six bowl game. Uh, recruiting is coming up really fast. There's so many games and so many big games still to be played. It's hard to believe. And yet we're closing in on it. How has this season changed the Cougars' fortunes? You got any idea what's going to happen with uh, some of their targets? Yeah, signing day is a, a week from Wednesday. Obviously, coaches haven't been able to go out and recruit, right. yeah. or and uh, <clears throat> there have been very few in-person. You know, they haven't been able to pay for campus visits uh, for prospects. So it's going to be a really, really unique. Uh, signing day, signing period, a week from Wednesday. But I, uh, BYU says they've they've done really well. They've uh, just recently there were a flurry of of commits, kind of three or four star guys, uh, Raider Demuni and Logan Fano out of Tempview, that they were able to get. BYU's recruiting class is going to be really small um, because of uh, just where they are caught with missionaries coming back and, and getting taking up scholarships and that thing. I think there'll be probably around 15 guys is all that they'll for the entire class, most of which will will sign uh, in December uh, this month and then and then a few leftovers next February. So um, it's not going to be ranked very high. It's probably going to be in the 80s, but uh, a lot of that is because of uh, just the lack of numbers, um, like because of the reasons I mentioned before. So much emphasis has been on this New Year's Day Six Bowl. It's like that was the goal once they started to get rolling with the undefeated nature. And in my mind, once they went independent, they basically gave up better bowl access for the opportunities that and benefits that independence gives you, which is a whole bunch of things. We know what they are. Do you think that the New Year's Day Bowl, the flirtation was so strong with it, that this could cause them to rethink being independent if they don't get a break in a Power Five when these TV contracts and potential shifts and reorganizations are up in a couple of years? 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think what's gone on with the uh, college football playoff committee and the ranking that they thought was was not quite as good as they thought they deserved. Yeah, I, I think there could be kind of a re-questioning of that. Um, uh, on the flip side, you know, if they weren't independent, they wouldn't have been playing. Uh, they weren't beholden to a conference, so um, they were able to play in September and October when, you know, like is well documented, they were the only team in the West still playing. So in a way, uh, it was a mixed bag as far as their independent status goes. There were some, you know, obviously positives for them being able to play and then obviously the, the negatives of, of uh, um you know what 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 now kind of the 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 same old familiar what now feeling after you know a loss in september in pre- previous years and uh and, and you know speaking of that i think they're going to have a big challenge on their hands this this week um i think there's room for a a big letdown with you know san diego state coming into town and and uh and kind of the season is you know over again what's going to motivate them to play well on saturday i know it's senior day and they'll have that aspect but uh the coaches have a a pretty big challenge this week of of getting this team motivated to play again on saturday after such a such a huge letdown it literally felt like um after the game the way the cougars were talking it almost felt like a end of the season type game or even a bowl game just in the way they were you know, talking about how the season went and stuff like that. So bouncing back is not going to be easy this week. Jay Drew joining us, BYU football writer and Utah basketball writer for the Deseret News. You are also the Utah basketball writer, Jay. What can you tell us about the Utah-BYU basketball game coming up on Saturday, if anything, since you were in Myrtle Beach and there aren't a lot of Utah basketball players running around there? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was able to see the Utes play uh, beat Washington Thursday afternoon uh, at the Huntsman Center, uh, and I, I think I tweeted out a few things. Uh, they they look pretty good. I I was uh, you know for their first game and Washington's third game, Utah looked like the, the better team. Obviously, they won fairly easily, and uh, I was impressed with uh, with some of the players the Utes got. The, this new uh, guard, Pella Larson out of Sweden, looked really good. He's going to help him a lot. Uh, Brandon Carlson, the, the big from Bingham High, um, hasn't put on a lot more weight, but, but I was impressed with his defense especially. And uh, So I, I think the Utes are going to, you know, I think they're going to, I'm not going to say they're going to be in the top four of the Pac-12, but I think they're going to finish better than the eight that they were picked. Um, they got Idaho State tomorrow. Which will just be kind of a, another tune-up game, and then and then the big game at BYU on uh, on Saturday will be a really good test for Utah and for BYU, really to to kind of see where the programs are at. They got the COVID issue. I guess you can really never have it under control, but they were they were hit hard. You think that uh, bodes well for them, maybe getting it behind them and can have an opportunity to get on the court consistently. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that. I think that I think Larry said there were two more than two thirds of the team had been affected by it, including himself. So, yeah, if this, uh, these theories or whatever they're called are, 
are right that once you get it, you you know you can't get it again for 90 days or whatever. Um, that bodes well for for the Utes, and uh, hopefully they won't have any more cancellations. They had to cancel their first two kind of lined up preseason games, non-conference games, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So hopefully that's behind them, and and they won't have any more issues the rest of the season. Well, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, coming on and going double duty on BYU football and Utah basketball. All right. It's the new world we're living in, but I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to be employed. So uh, yeah, really, onward and upward. There you go. The more you do, the harder you are to hey, replace. Uh, before he goes, we've got to congratulate him. It's now Grandpa Jay. Grandpa. For sure. <laughs> yep. Got a little, uh, my first grandson, born... Uh, what the Saturday morning after BYU Boise football game, and uh, really excited. It's been a lot of fun. Changing diapers, or you hand off for that? That's no, not in the job Grandpa description. Don't do that. No, <laughs> I've only been able to see the little guy on Thanksgiving, so I've only uh, been around once, and yeah. we didn't. And uh, there are plenty of people to do that. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> got, got a long list of volunteers no, for that but, one. But we weren't over ten. No, don't don't get the governor mad. I mean, we we kept it under ten people. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Jay. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Have a great day. All right. There is Jay Drew from the Deseret News covering BYU football and Utah basketball. We're going to take a break. When we come back, everything we've been talking about in this show, we will get you up to speed. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to get you up to speed. Everything you missed in this show, if you're joining us late, we had Brant Keithy and Kyle Whittingham's media availability. I thought Brant Keithy was really good. And, you know, NFL scouts, they keep track of everything, PK. Well, and so do NBA and Major League Baseball scouts probably too. But uh, he's a football player, and he's got designs on the NFL. And, you know, how do you handle yourself when stuff goes wrong? They notice when he turns around and is mad at his quarterback and that the body language tells everyone in the stadium, everyone watching on TV – I was open. You missed me. And other things we can't say on the radio. But when he gets asked about it today, I thought he played it well. Hey, everybody saw what happened. There's no need to rehash it. He didn't deny it. He didn't snap at the person asking the question, but he didn't want to pile on his quarterback either. Played that pretty well. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here because he is clearly really talented. And Kyle came on and said, we got to continue to get him the ball. You know, basically, he didn't say it, but in so many words, it's like they've identified two offensive difference makers. They identified Keithy in the last third of last season. They've identified Ty Jordan in the first three games this year. That's why he had 27 carries and 167 yards. Those are huge numbers. And after watching the film, okay, he ran the wrong way on third and one when there was a hole and he could have picked up a first down. But uh, he, he's a big-time talent emerging for them. Yeah, get that as a drop, that growl or whatever the heck it was. Arr! 
I'll just Turn do it on demand. It. You don't have to save it. Whatever. Just yak. Just cue me. Have a have a cue for the growl. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do it. In, we'll do it in times that you don't want. So that's the beauty. Uh, okay. The beautiness, which is not into word. The beautiness. Uh, <laughs> the beautiness of the drop is uh, being able to play it when it's unexpected. So I know for me, in difficult times, uh, that I have traditionally and almost universally have acted poorly. So Keithy, sure, he was open. And the, and the frustration with the team is they weren't completing drives. You know, field goals are nice, but when you start to get – if you're up 12 nothing, and there were no extra points that were botched involved – <laughs> There's going to be frustration because probably all those field goals aren't going to be from 50 yards, and the Utes did not uh, finish drives, and so that was getting under Kyle's skin. But when you look at the circumstances of this year, it's almost like uh, not completely because you're out there playing and you're expected to perform well is that uh, you sort of understand it because and if I'm Oregon State, am I really cracking on them for losing that game? <laughs> for what the product that they had had, plus coming off the, that emotional win. They're probably okay that they even just have one win because they beat Oregon, and it's always fun, particularly for the Beavers, to that team down south, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what they're thinking inside the program, but from outside the program, I think they're developing more good young players. That was a great win for them against Oregon State. They've definitely got the ability to run the ball. They're not physically overmatched the way they have been in the past. So it seems like the arrow is up there and that they ought to be encouraged. You're talking for Oregon? For Oregon State. State. For Oregon yeah, State. Win, win would have been over Oregon, not Oregon State. But, uh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they need to make improvements, and they are. Uh, for the Utes, uh, sharpen the weapons so you're ready to go next year. It's not like every win this year is a bonus because you look at Colorado, and my guess is Darrell and those guys saying, hey, what are you talking about? This isn't legitimate. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a great season. This, this season counts just as much as any other season. This is extremely legitimate, <laughs> you know, because they're what? The, uh, surprisingly, they're 4-0, right? Just yeah. the fact they played four games is something that is exciting because not, uh, not everybody has played four games. And, and I'll give you something. Herm Edwards had a little press availability this morning. And guess what he's saying? What's the goal of this year? Experience. Playing young guys. 95% of the team is coming back next year because <laughs> they're 0-2. So that's the spin. This year, bah, come on, man. We're all set up for next year. Now, when you start, you know, Two and two next year. Well, yeah, well, yeah, we'll worry about that then. But they've already turned the tip pages towards next season because that's what they've got before them at zero and two. And for the Utes, I understand that it's it's somewhat of the same thing. And as far as the young guys developing, I, I sort of think they're right on target. The only negative about this season to me is that Rising is not getting the experience. Yep, that's and it. That's a huge there's negative. no other negative to this season. The uh, red zone issues, I think the first thing you got to go to is if he were quarterbacking, would he hit the open receivers? Because if he doesn't, then they got red zone issues. And if he does, they got touchdowns. Instead of 9 nothing. it's either 17 nothing. maybe it's 21, maybe they got oh, more games momentum. Blind, bl- bl- games blowed wide open, although right. they did lead 21 nothing against uh, Washington. Yeah. So maybe I shouldn't say that. But it would have been, still, it would have been, okay, now let's see if they handle a, a big early lead better than they did last week. 
So, I mean, to a certain degree, that was always going to be the story of this year was developing young guys because they're going to have to develop so many young guys. I guess the question with Colorado is, uh, is it real? Is it... Um, I mean, there are things you cannot deny about this year that are just uniquely 2020. They have played Arizona, Colorado has played Arizona, UCLA, and Stanford. And depending on how you slice it, that's either the bottom or the middle of the league. Utah has played Washington and USC and Oregon State. They're about to play Colorado. And no matter how you slice it, well, that's two of the better teams in the league. It might be the two teams in the conference championship game for the losses. Uh, now, Oregon State, bottom or middle of the league. Colorado, undefeated right now. So you're not getting this nine-game sample where you play almost everybody, and you really, you really have a pretty good idea where you fit. So is there a little mirage to this with Colorado? They're running the ball phenomenally. Broussard, they're... Um, Another running back out of Texas, PK. What are the odds? Uh, 700 yards rushing, 6.5 yards a carry. And those are big-time numbers for four games. I mean, they were running the ball really well. So that'll be a good test for the Utes. Oh, well, their quarterback right now is the MVP of the league, I think. Did you see that uh, Joel Klatt, I, I said, he put something out there, and, and, I, and I believe this too, they should abolish the divisions. Oh, I did see that, that they should do uh, what the Mountain West did and just play uh, the two undefeated teams. And, and USC didn't get to play Colorado, and everybody else in the league has a loss, so the right. Pac-12 title game should be the two undefeated teams. Which I, is what I thought they were going to do before the season. If you go back to my original tweet, and I usually re- delete all my tweets, but I left that one up, is that uh, because they were discussing that, and mm-hmm. I had heard hours before they made the announcement, I'm not going to get any credit because I don't want any credit. So don't go say PK had it first. No, that's not who I am. No credit, DJ. So don't even think about it. You got me? But I did treat out hours before that they would play the six games uh, and then have the title game. And I was hoping that they didn't have the divisions. And I might even consider not having divisions all the way and go like the Big 12 does and just have the two best teams rather than the winner from the south and the winner from the north because – and the idea is to put the best foot forward for the conference. I think that might be certainly. I should have. I thought they should have done it this year. I've been saying that all along. The Mountain West I, did do it this year. Another thing, the Pac-12 sense. didn't do as well as somebody else. How can you possibly foresee it? I don't know. Let's ask the Mountain West. How did they foresee it? Yeah, I think it was easily foreseeable back in October. Mm-hmm. Not for the Pac-12. Just for the Mountain West. Doom coughs. Doom coughs. Uh, other stuff we've talked about today, we've been spending a lot of time on the BYU game. Uh, I went with disappointment. You went with irritation. But for BYU fans, it was such a golden opportunity. The dream dies at the one-yard line. And where are you left now? Glad they played the game, but at the same time, it, it, it wrecks the dream storyline for BYU while it makes it all the sweeter for Coastal Carolina. Uh, yeah, I don't know what Coastal Carolina gets out of it outside of more recognition. I still don't think they're going to go to a New Year's Day six, but maybe, man, maybe, maybe you know, just the program uh, developing. But I think if they would have had a close loss under the circumstances, what Coastal Carolina was playing for, I think that would have been good enough. 
Coastal Carolina now has to uh, win their last two games. They got Troy, who's five and five, and then they'll have to beat Louisiana again, nationally ranked team that uh, they barely beat with the last second field goal, and then hope that Tulsa beats uh, Cincinnati because they're going to yeah, play this I, I week don't... and then again in the conference title game. Yeah, and okay. If the AAC follows through with that, there's been some talk they may shake that up. So, uh, but I mean, good on them. They've had a nice season. It was a nice win. That kid, 94, Jeffrey uh, Gunther, is that how you say his last name? Yeah. Did you realize that uh, he was at Coastal, then he like transferred twice, and then transferred back (laughs) to uh, Coastal Carolina? (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. so now now I want the backstory on why all that I think happened. he went to Syracuse, or he committed to Syracuse, but then went to NC State and uh, redshirted, and then, so I don't know that he actually played for either of those two schools, but then went back to Coastal Carolina. Ah. Well, wildly talented, and he had a big game, and he, he was identified before the game as, uh, as a big-time player and a difference-maker for them. And, uh, but, but i got to say, that was a really weird sequence at halftime. I mean, lots of people take shots at quarterbacks on interceptions. That's an old story. But uh, to be the second guy in and throw him to the ground, that was the first, that was the first eyebrow raiser. But then the, the, to pick him up and slam him down again, that was just outrageous. The second time was out of line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was outrageous. I could live with the first one, but not the second one. No, and if I were BYU, if anybody would have wanted to run off that bench and gone right at him the way that high school kid who went lost his mind and went out that referee, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't do that. But I could have lived with a BYU guy or guys coming off the bench and going right at him in that situation. To me, that would have been understandable. You could have really, really hurt Zach Wilson. Oh, yeah. And Zach Wilson is a professional NFL quarterback. He may not be a starter. He may be a star. It may be somewhere in between. Right. But the fact is, he's going to earn an NFL paycheck, and that literally could have taken money out of his pocket. And you cannot have that, which brings to question, if you're Zach Wilson, do you even bother with some low-level bowl game? Uh, man, boy, the history of college football the last five years says no. No. Right. And, and the history of this year says, will he play against San Diego State? I mean, yeah, the number will. of guys who, A, didn't play this year, or B, have left. Uh, LSU has already had, I think it was a receiver at LSU. Yeah, but they suck. Right. Yeah, but they're not playing for the ultimate prize. Once you're not playing for the ultimate prize, uh, there was somebody else who uh, they got eliminated from the conference race, and he immediately bailed out. I oh, can't there's rem- been plenty. Yeah, safety, there have been. A safety from the Sun Devils just quit. Mm, yeah. Uh, and he said, because they're not playing for anything, obviously. And so he's a junior, and he just he mailed it in and said, I'm getting ready for the draft. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, so, but I think Zach plays this week. And at that point, if he says no, I'm just done. give Romney the bowl, the bowl game and away you go. I, I would have no problem supporting him 100. percent And and if I were a BYU football coach, I would know that Zach has a tremendous value to us as an NFL quarterback. I'd totally sign off on it. Yeah, just your, your ability to recruit and say we put guys in the NFL and then to point at a quarterback, absolutely. You absolutely what was that last part? What that. was that? Say that again. 
Nah, he already got the drop. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Arr! All right, fine. All right, anything else you want to share from today's show? Anything else we need to cover? College football is pretty ho-hum this weekend, except for that BYU-Coastal Carolina game. The uh, the ranked teams, eh. A ho-hummer of a week. To- uh, Jack Tuttle threw two touchdown passes, and Indiana beat Wisconsin. That was probably the next best game. Defensive game, 14-6. Oh, I, I to thought six. Texas A&M uh, was. Auburn, Auburn kept the heat on him for a while, and Bo Nix had an awesome touchdown run. Highlight film good, run. That was a good game. I ended up watching that. How he escaped from the sack, we'll never know. But he did, and he scored. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and your feedback is next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time for your feedback. And Scott says, why does BYU play a low-level bowl game if invited? Why lose money over a game that means nothing, no fans, etc.? Because kids want to play games? Yeah, I think it's for the boys to uh, bring it down to its basic level. They enjoy playing the game. Yeah. And to the degree that you do have veteran players, star players opting out because they've got NFL options, so... Hey, second string guy gets to play, and you get somebody ready for next year. Experience. I think, I think with BYU, because of this contract with ESPN, they pretty much have to do what ESPN says. I wouldn't blow so, ESPN off too much because that would make independence really hard. Right. You don't want to wreck that relationship. Right, exactly. So if they say, hey, we need you to go to New Mexico – and it wouldn't be in New Mexico. It would be someplace else because they're not having events in New Mexico this year. But the New Mexico Bowl, wherever it's supposed to be played, uh, you're going to have to do it, basically. Uh, Brad, talking uh, about the BYU game, says it's extremely frustrating that the Cougar defense could not get off the field. The offense missed so many opportunities. But what bleeps me off the most is CC tackling Zach twice and no flag. And then the red-faced emoji. That's the play. Well, as I said, that could have done permanent damage or serious damage. And he's got money on the line. And once you have money on the line, then it becomes real. And that's what bothered me about that. As I was watching that unfold, I, I'm, the only thing I was thinking was Zach has money on this. <laughs> you could damage him. And this is a serious situation here. And these referees, where was that white-hatted ref? It was like he came in after the fact. And I realized he had a little bit to go. But you could see it develop, and it was going on and on. And this is an NFL quarterback here, and you're potentially endangering his livelihood. That's serious business. That goes way beyond a single play in a football game. That's where I'm looking at from the perspective of and for, when you go from one game to another, the refereeing's just all over the map. It's all over the map. So I'm watching the Ute game, and I can't remember which Ute it was, but a Ute defensive back extends a drive because as he's running by a guy, and then he, they're in the middle of the field, and the ball's over on what would be the near sideline on TV, and he reaches out with a hand and shoves a guy. <laughs> and he gets a flag for unnecessary roughness for this semi sort of a hit, uh, but yeah. it wasn't. But it was a shove. He didn't even hit him with his shoulder, let alone targeting with a helmet. It wasn't even a shoulder. That's a flag. But you can pick up a guy and drive him into the turf twice, and that's that's okay. But this shove over here, it doesn't make any sense. It's just 
college refereeing's all over the map. You never know what's going to happen. All right, we've got uh, uh, Utah Pig Bus Tailgate who tweets at us a lot. It says, a boxer may be a better boxer overall than the guy who they just lost to, but in that fight... They got knocked the F out. He spells it E-F. Uh, they weren't the better boxer because, you know, they got knocked the F out and they lost. Why can't people get this concept? Uh, we were the better team. We just lost the game. Why do we hear that after games, PK? Because people have an inflated sense of how good their team is, which is uh, Utah Pig Bus's tailgate in a later theory. Or those of us who are hooked on the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NHL are used to playoff series and one loss doesn't mean anything. There's that concept. Well, we'd have beat them eight out of ten. They just, this is, you know, they had a puncher's okay, chance. So you'd rather have your team say, yeah, we're just not good enough, man. Under no circumstance do I want my team to say that. I want my team to say, we blew that game. We should have won that game. That's what I want them to say. And I want them to be irritated. I don't, under no circumstance do I want them to accept defeat. I'm sorry, man. That's not the way I think whatsoever. I want them to be just violently mad, not literally physically, but emotionally. And I want them to be furious about that because they should have won that game. That's the way I want my team to think. And that's the way real champions think. There's no other way to think. So I would disagree with that take 100%. DJ and PK, we are out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. Stay with us.